welcome to the Wise Women in Waste podcast series with me, Debbie Hitchin, Director of Sustainable Production and Consumption at Anthesis, and my co-host, Claudia Amos, Technical Director for Circularity, Resource Efficiency and Waste at Anthesis. If you've joined us previously in our other episodes, you'll know that we've been co-hosting this series of podcasts, which uses informal conversations to explore the trends and opportunities in our sector through lenses of women like us. We've been inviting inspiring women in the waste and circularity industry to discuss their passion for the work that we do and provide some industry insights and their knowledge along the way. Today, we've invited two of our colleagues to join us to discuss their experience within the circular economy and sustainable packaging industries. As you'll know, packaging is a very hot topic at the moment and has been since about 2017, when, thanks to Blue Planet, everybody suddenly understood the need to have a sustainable packaging strategy. More recently, it's become combined with the drive for net zero and the impacts that packaging and scope three can account for. So today, we're going to be inviting our colleagues to discuss with us these links between sustainable packaging and the net zero and scope three agendas. So welcome, Sophie and Berta. It's delightful to have you with us. First of all, perhaps you could start by just giving us a quick introduction to yourselves and how you found yourselves in this industry. My name is Berta Mota and I'm leading the Circular Economy team uh, here in Anthesis Lobola based in Spain. And this is within the EMELA framework in the Anthesis group. And I've been always related to sustainability um, throughout my university studies. I started with environmental sciences. I moved towards the more the engineering part within my master. And then I did my PhD in material sciences and engineering. And then I realized how eco-design and incorporating in environmental indicators can help to produce better products and better services. So this is where I wanted to bring my career towards. Uh, and also being in consultancy, it's one nice opportunity to work hand on hand with clients to have these realistic solutions, to have this very direct contact with clients and the different themes with it. So you really have a holistic approach in sustainability, especially on circularity, which allows you to make quantification of products, which and, and then have a decision-making tools to incorporate improvements. And this is something that I really enjoy doing and, and that I, I'm, I'm willing to continue to do. So in the circular economy team here in Antes Lovala, what we do is everything related to metrics, LCA from an objective point of view. So we deal with different companies and we help them calculate their impacts, better understand those, and then improve their products because LCA is nice and useful to have the broader picture, but then you have to take it forward. You have to make improvement. You have to see where are your opportunities to improve. And this is what we do with um, our team of experts, uh, some analysts, also some people that are more focused on eco-design on different sectors. And this is what we enjoy doing and what we can help our clients with. Hi everyone, thank you very much for inviting me to this podcast. Um, I'm Sophie and I'm a Principal Consultant here at Anthesis, leading the packaging team in London. I have been with Anthesis now for a couple of years, before which I was more in the supply chain side of the business. So I started my career based in Hong Kong, where I was for two years um, working with uh, suppliers in Asia to really try and reduce the environmental impacts from their operations. This is really what piqued my interest in waste um, and, and particularly packaging waste and the problem with which globally we are facing and, and the nuance of that between different regions. So that really got me interested in packaging and really trying to help 
suppliers based in Asia deal with the waste in their operations and and the waste from their excess packaging. Following that stint, I moved actually across to New York to build out a sustainability strategy for the packaging of the company that I was working for, who, to be honest, were really right in the, the infancy of their sustainability journey. And that's really, again, what sort of piqued my interest in trying to build strategies to move companies towards targets and to really help move them in the right direction. So during that time, I was, I was going out to events to absorb what others in industry were doing. And I think that really, again, sparked the interest of collaboration and, and the power of collaboration to tackle um, similar challenges. I actually met Debbie at a GreenBiz conference. So that was where I first came across Anthesis. And Debbie, you actually gave a really fantastic talk, which I still remember, um, which was on traversing the trade-offs. Still very true today. And I hope we'll probably discuss that in this podcast. And again, Helping clients um, has always really interested me to ensure that we're not burden shifting our solutions, um, that we're assessing the trade-offs and we're really looking at that holistic impact. And so I've always been interested in circularity and how that can enable us to do that. So I did the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, the From Linear to Circular program a couple of years ago before joining Anthesis. And that's when I sort of, again, got my first insight into consultancy. Um, And I wanted to move to a sector where I could influence multiple different industries like the work we do at Anthesis really focuses on. And so, uh, yeah, I joined the Anthesis packaging team and a great team of 10 consultants or so. It's really interesting to see how the sector is constantly evolving. And I'm sure we'll go on to discuss that in a little bit. But uh, as Debbie said, really beginning with that consumer anti-sentiment to plastic and how it's grown and evolved since then, it's really encompassed the net zero agenda and the fast evolving pace of it with the plethora of of regulations to navigate. So it's been a really fantastic two years since joining Anthesis, working across lots of different industries. Um, And yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation and discussing packaging and circularity. Thanks for that reminder, Sophie. It seems like a long time ago. That uh, Green Biz event was the last thing I did before lockdown hit in the global pandemic. And it was a super conference. And I think it's really a, an interesting point to start with because we were looking at unintended consequences. We're still looking at unintended consequences. And that's what I love about the marriage of the circularity and the LCA scientific pieces that Berta and her team bring around that whole analytics piece combined with the sort of end-to-end packaging services that you guys provide around setting strategy, setting goals, and then implementing change. Because we make sure at each point that we check back in your strategies with Berta, with her team, to make sure that those unintended consequences are not happening, or if there are unintended consequences that are being flagged by the data, that we can prepare for those and we can have a a sort of plan B in action. And I think that's a really relevant conversation even today. Uh, What is that, five years or four years later? Yeah, definitely. We have made a bit of progress on the overall way forward, but I think we're still struggling with with very similar issues and they are long term. And I think the more we understand also, the more you find issues and and things to address and barriers, challenges that uh, we need to take forward, especially in the implementation. So for me, I would love to start the conversation to hear a bit more about your two aligned but slightly different approaches to this topic as part of the leadership in our EMEA zone, so European, Middle East and Africa. And it would be great to hear a bit more, Sophie and Berta, about your approach to circularity, what tools you're using and how you're taking this forward. Absolutely. So in our work for the packaging team, really our first key step 
is a fundamental reduction or removal in packaging. So we know that in order to meet our targets, in order to meet action that is required, the transformative action that is required in this next decade, businesses need to fundamentally reduce the amount of virgin materials they are using in their packaging and reduce as well the amount of packaging that they are placing on the market in that single-use, linear, take-make, dispose model. So circularity um, and implementing reuse and refill systems really is the top enabler of that. It's really going to be able to be the lever that drives the change for us and for businesses in terms of meeting targets and actually driving the change. The way we work with clients is we really help understand and assess what options are available that, that they can explore through design choices. So we've got an immense array of expertise in our packaging team here in the UK. We've got polymer experts who can really understand a different plastic choices, what the impact of that is from that holistic perspective. We've got packaging technicians, so those who are really involved in or have experience in the manufacturing side of the business. So understanding, okay, actually what format is required to enable to get this product to the market and what are the necessary barriers that are needed to ensure that the product is given to the consumer in a safe manner. So really working through design choices, material choices, and then also that system or services alternatives. What can companies do to dramatically reduce their waste and keep their packaging materials in circulation and in that circular system for longer? And what we've seen is actually many companies have already implemented their quick wins. We've, we've done the slightly easier stuff. And now we're really facing the tougher challenges to meet to meet any targets. And the rubber really begins to meet the road. We hear that saying quite frequently. And so as such, we support companies to really focus on those environmental hotspots within the packaging categories. So most recently, um, we supported IGD with a fantastic strategic tool to help map the hotspots of the grocery retail aisles. So really highlighting, okay, where are the greatest environmental impacts of the packaging and where do they sit in relation to aisles very visually. And so our analysis, what that showed actually was, was that 50% of all supermarket packaging impacts are actually from the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic, so the beverage, the beverage sector and the dairy and sources section. And so what this strategic tool really helps companies with is really providing the means to focus their priorities. So after we've done the quick wins, where do we need to focus our priorities on reduction and removing the amount of packaging that's associated with those product categories? And so we really help from like a strategic tools perspective, but I'll pass across to Burton now for the sort of more analytics piece that really cements that through. Yeah, I think that this analytic part is also bringing some backup also to the work that Sophie was saying and, and the work that uh, they are doing within the team. And is this part that is it's definitely related to circularity because circularity is the enabler of improving reduction uh, reduction of emissions related to products. And specifically because Sophie was saying that we have a team of experts that go from end-to-end solutions. So from packaging technologies to very good analytics uh, people and people who can engage very well with the, with the, the suppliers from these companies. We help clients to understand what is an LCA. And for that part, we're very happy because nowadays... This is a word that resonates within the community. So this is a very big, a big challenge uh, that probably 10 years ago, we would be in a different situation or, or even less. But we basically help clients to get data, calculate data, understand data, and also to help them to see 
where are the main impacts after going through a process of, of LCA, which is kind of a methodology that is very objective, is very internationally recognized, and it details all the steps that you have to follow to have a better product. And by better, I don't mean that you always go for a the lowest CO2 product, but also you have to consider water, you have to consider waste generation, end-of-life scenarios. So this, together with uh, the work that Sophie was mentioning, is giving this holistic approach that is circularity and also promoting scenarios which are more unusual, probably that are reusability or repairability, which at the end of the day, circularity is not only reducing CO2 emissions, but looking at it from a different way of doing and probably, well, probably not. I'm, I'm sure there's still a lot of, of work to be done, but people is changing mind, their mind. Companies are evolving too. And I think that this is now a topic that is not only of interest to a more research level, but also in the C-level and companies that are convinced can really move forward in it. And basically, there are many ways to do that. And of course, at the beginning, probably it's a bit more complicated and that's why we want to make it easy. But there are from calculations that we can do for clients based on data that they have or other more digital tools. For instance, we're going to to put in the market a new product that is helping with this purpose, which is definitely going to change the way that companies can calculate themselves the impact on products, so be more independent on that part. And yeah, basically we love creating more circular and sustainable products. So everything related to this design stage, eco-design and working with a large chain of suppliers that can make it as a whole, we are very happy to participate. Thanks, Peter. I think what's really interesting in the last, I'd say, six months or so, I've seen a bit of a shift from people asking for LCAs for the purpose of having an LCA for a single product to actually using that on a portfolio or on a, a category or subcategory basis to say, okay, I want to use this LCA to drive change. And the change that they're talking about is about net zero. It's about a reduction plan that then they can feed back to their customers that actually show how that reduction is going to feed up into their scope three reporting mechanisms. And that's exciting because I think there was a period of time when LCA was expensive to do, it was one product, it was indicative of, you know, of where you stood in terms of environmental impact. The fact that that you're talking about can now enable organisations to do this on a much broader scale, much more quickly, and to actually model different scenarios that say, well, what if I substitute this for this? Or what if I change something out and put something else in? What does that do in terms of the emissions across a different suite of calculation um, opportunities? And, And then to use that to actually create a plan. So I've experienced, as I say, a a bit of a growth in this area over the last few months or so. And I was just wondering if you had a view of what's driven that change? Why have people gone from just saying we'd like an LCA to actually being able to sort of see that as part of their business process for change? We have seen more and more growth of scope three calculations. And this is a very hot topic right now because so far companies were calculating scope one and two, which is completely fine, but usually where the main impact is is scope three. And this can lead up to 90% of the whole of the whole impact. And in within this uh, scope, there's there's a purchase goods and services section or subcategory, which is also one of the most impactful ones. And this is where companies have been thinking, well, it doesn't really solve the problem if we're only looking at one product among the thousand of products that we produce. But What if we look at the whole portfolio and we make 
improvements from there. So it's, it's where the LCA becomes more fun because you are not only evaluating the CO2 and water and, and so on related to one family of products or a small amount of products, but the whole portfolio. And this allows you to make policies, improvement plans, and then also to settle goals just to where you can improve and make future scenarios to see where you can reach or not, where is feasible, what is not, which is also a good, a, a good point, because not always what is sustainable, then it's going to be practical. So this is where it becomes more interesting to have the LCA as a decision-making tool to decide where you're going to go in the future. So having that as an internal tool is one of the most useful applications of LCA. And this is where I think it comes from, from Scope 3. And I just sort of go on to add to that in terms of helping LCA data, helping drive those internal conversations. What we've seen is enormous progress in terms of the commitment from various industries to the science-based targets initiative. And as Berta said, scope three is an overwhelming proportion of that with packaging and products very much contributing to that scope three footprint. And so setting targets is one thing, but how do you actually embed the change um, within a business? And I think what we've seen companies come to realize is that actually the, the systemic change that is needed from businesses in order to meet their net zero commitments and, and as such circularity, key enabler of that. But how do we use LCA data? How do we use um, footprint data to actually help those who are making the changes within the business communicate with their executive leadership teams and that's i think i think a gap that we are currently seeing between companies who's a managerial director level communicating the change that is required to their executive leadership teams and that's where i think we're going to see the momentum really shift to helping businesses and executive leadership teams understand that these targets, net zero targets, really need to be seen as as business or mission critical objectives. It's not really a nice to have. And therefore, we need to evaluate alternative solutions, packaging solutions in those really hard financial terms that executive leadership teams can actually understand and, and speak the same language. And so that means sort of weighing the cost of investments for reuse systems versus any cost of inaction. And when I say cost of inaction, I mean sort of the EPR fees that are coming in. Well, we know that uh, UK EPR has just been delayed 2025, but what is the cost of inaction? So if I do nothing, what are my EPR fees going to be like later on down the line? Is it worth me making the investment decision now to switch to reuse in order to protect myself against those future costs that are coming down the line with terms of regulation? And the same sort of idea applies to Europe as well with the packaging and packaging waste regulation, which will drive significant change. And that really needs to be pitted against that cost of inaction and understanding that reuse is that long-term decision that requires that different engagement approach. And this is where we can really help companies communicate with their senior executive team on that business case for reuse and and why it makes financial sense to, to meeting stakeholder expectations further on down the line. Absolutely. And I just worked on a, on a project where exactly that, this demand, not demand, but aspiration to simplify language, to communicate it uh, internally to C-suite as well as externally was really rubbing up against the complexity 
of the product portfolio, the packaging portfolio, and the complexity of the subject matter in itself. So, for example, you said reduction of virgin. What does it mean? Do we mean reduction of fossil fuel, plastics and products? Or are we truly meaning virgin new material of whatever kind being put into the market? So that's kind of like our daily bread where we are talking about all these detailed issues. So that's super interesting. I think the other part is also the impact of regulation Relations and how we get to the end goal, really, because I think we all agree we're in the decisive decade. We have had a lot of regulations in the, in Europe. US is now also developing more and more regulations. We have seen it in our Southeast Asian work that they're all pr- trying to provide EPR services as soon as possible. But I think sometimes also this focus on regulations, compliance, might not always be helpful or is really, really difficult for, for consumers. Can we talk a bit more about the role of regulations? Absolutely. I think it's not just difficult for consumers. I think it's also really difficult for companies. We're in a sort of limbo period at the moment with, to reference again, the UK packaging regulations being delayed. We're not, we're not seeing a lot of clarity. And so companies are kind of trying to navigate how to move forwards with this. And actually what we're seeing and, and from joining uh, conferences that have been run recently by Inkpen, what we're seeing actually are companies really pulling together to actually say, let's go this alone. Let's drive ahead of the regulation because we actually can't wait for regulation to catch up and to actually provide the foundations that we need to move forward. We need to move quicker because we've got targets that are 2030, 2040. And actually with the way that regulation is going and that uncertainty, particularly again in the UK market, the DR for instance, is glass in, is glass out? What's the difference between Scotland, England and Wales and all those different DRS systems as well? It really, what we're seeing is is that actually companies are calling on one another to really collaborate and drive action together, as opposed to wait for the regulation to come in. I think there's quite an interesting way of mapping some of this as well. Just recently, we started to look at all of the Circular Economy Action Plan, EU Green Deal, suites of regulation and drivers together, and to cross-reference them with the mandatory reporting ones for CSRD. What you realise is there's quite a lot of commonality, actually, across all of the different suites of regulation. So although one may be going backwards or delayed, we know for sure that CSRD, and in this case, it's the ERS E5 that looks at sort of resource use, those are driving very similar behaviours and requirements within organisations. So product design, design for recyclability, waste prevention, resource inflow and outflow mapping, the use of circularity for policies and tools and targets. Those are all actually common across well, whether it's ESPR or EPR, as you say, or the CSRD regulations. So I think that this is coming as such a big package. And if the organisations are able to see that map and to see the common strands that exist between all of those policy and regulation drivers, then actually, as you say, Sophie, this is a really good opportunity to get ahead of some of this stuff and to structure it in such a way that you can meet multiple obligations with the policies and the approaches that are being adopted. So While I heard recently at a similar event to the one you're describing, Sophie, that there's a significant concern around businesses meeting their 2025 packaging targets, I also have a sort of certain degree of optimism that we will push that timeline out 
by a period, but I don't think it will be fundamental. I think there is hope that we will still, as societies, drive those sorts of significant changes, not just business as usual, but those whole business model changes that you're describing because of all these other regulatory drivers, because of the cost, because of the risk on price volatility and supply chain volatility. I feel like there are challenges to that for sure, the you know cost of production, cost of transport, rising costs of living. But I do feel like there are multiple other things that are driving businesses in the right direction. I think the other part is also that we need regulation to set comparable frameworks because one of the issues with targets is always are we just trying to meet them for the target's sake, sake? And are we then trying to put definitions in the right order just to make it over the line or water targets down, which might have been meant or initially defined in a different way? So I think that's where, from my point of view, still regulations are really, really important, like the mass balancing discussions, what counts as recycled, what is kind of like virgin material. All those definitions are super, super important. And also where we need alignment internationally. We can't just have a, a European view or North American view or an Asian view. And another topic is biodegradability, bioplastics. How do we define them? What are the design guidelines? Well, we're all following a strand. And then especially what, what Debbie just said, because the, the push towards sustainability comes now from investors from the C-suite, from the consumers, from the B2B customers, from your supply chain. So it's coming out from all of different directions. I, I completely share this hope. And I think that this is something that really happened in the quantification of impacts field, because there, for many years, there has been this LCA perspective on, well, let's do some simplified calculation and then we can have a kind of impact, but everything gets bigger and bigger and then when you want to communicate you really have to have something that makes sense something that is robust and solid enough to then communicate and be sure that what you're saying and putting into the market you can defend that and i think also that we saw a big jump with this new proposal of directive on on green claims where people start to and companies start to get this of being conscious that sustainability is about transparency is about telling the truth and the, all these regulations and framework that debbie was mentioning it all goes into that direction also together with circularity which is the word that sometimes Companies are not very sure what this means. There's no international def definition or framework that says, if you do this, you are circular. So initiatives like the, the new ISOs on, on circular economy, we really believe and we have a lot of hope that this is going to help in the market and also getting the same direction for everyone. And in terms of products, eco-design, new business models. So this is, um, it's going to be a nice time to receive this, this new ISO. Thanks. Berta, I love that. Sustainability is about transparency. I think we could also add to that. It's also often about bravery. It's about working bravery. with your partners and with your wider peer groups in, in industry and making brave decisions. And if anything comes across clearly in this, it's that we shouldn't wait. It's that we should continue to work in partnership to drive for targets for sustainable packaging, which incorporates scope three and circularity propositions within them. 
So as always, I feel like we could carry on this discussion for some time because we've just started to unpack some things around green claims, for example, which I'm sure would make a really fascinating future subject matter. But uh, as always, we have run out of time, unfortunately. So thank you both very much for joining us. It's been a really interesting discussion. We really appreciate it. To all our listeners, if there's anything in today's content you'd like to know more about any of the models or tools that we've talked about, you can access uh, us via LinkedIn or you can usually access those tools on the Anthesis website. Please do get in touch if there's anything you would like to hear about that we haven't spoken about on the podcast series as yet. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas. And until then, thank you again to our guests and thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.